Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for another episode of uh, of your Cell Sharks podcast which is you know here with you in the good times and, and here with you in the bad times and uh, joining me to discuss uh, some of the bad times at the moment is uh, my co-host partner James. James, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right mate. Um, considering, I mean obviously I sort of cried myself to sleep uh, <laughs> both nights over the weekend. Um just sort of flashbacks this time next week, just saying, you know, it feels like certainly not at a crisis, but if we lost to Worcester, it would be at a crisis, think of the words that I said. So uh, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say crisis now with hindsight, having lost. So, you know, not want to make it too doom and gloom. But I would say that the Sanderson honeymoon period is certainly over. Well, we're obviously talking... In, in reference here to Sale's 27-14 defeat away at Worcester on Saturday afternoon. And it does feel, with the benefit of hindsight, that maybe we were a little bit optimistic last week because, obviously, for, for those who listen to the pod every week, you know that we were talking about, OK, well, look, what happened at, you know, at Gloucester and at Leicester and all these places? It doesn't matter as long as we beat Worcester and beat them with a bonus point. Not only did we not pick up a bonus point we didn't even get the four points to, to begin with and I guess that that's where I want to kick things off James which is um how how worried was was the 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 fact that we lost away at Worcester and, and the manner in which we went down which was obviously being beaten by 15 points yeah I mean we talked about <laughs> maybe a bit optimistically the the need for us to get more than a score ahead because then the pressure would have moved on to Worcester. They're, they're, they're in a terrible bit of form. Their confidence really, really like rock bottom. And I think we then would have battered them. But the exact opposite, I mean, if you were choosing the exact opposite to be a problem, they were always going to come out fired up, right? Because they're embarrassed. They're professional rugby players. You know, the, it was always going to be an impossibility to just batter, you know, a team. They're not ever going to roll over in this level. Not when you can see that some of the players that they've got, some of which are quite experienced, by the way. But to concede 14 points so early on in the first half just immediately changed the whole nature of the game because it put all of the pressure straight onto sale. And unfortunately, if this had been in March or April, we would have ridden it out and come back. But it isn't. You know, you include the end to last season and the start of this season, and we are in an absolute rut. There is no doubt about it. Um, and you know, we we that pressure brings mistakes. It makes you second guess. And in professional rugby, you don't have much time to think. And you know, if you spend too much time thinking and worry about things, you often make the wrong option. You make mistakes. You make you know, knock ons. And I think we did look a poor side um, at, the, at the weekend. And that's what pressure does. You look at Leicester, right? They're miles ahead. They're definitely going to finish in the top four and they could definitely, they're definitely an option to win the league. But are you telling me that the difference is like the two signings that they made over the summer and now they're suddenly a load better? You know, it, it, it isn't, is it? It's, you, you get a couple of wins that go your way. You beat Saracens at home against the odds with, you know, the last play of the game. And suddenly you're in a completely different mental state. You go away to Northampton and put 50 points past them. I mean, that it's a funny game, this. And we are, you know, a scrappy win away from turning the tide. But it's not here yet. And in the meantime, it is a worry. 
Let's uh, let's do some three word reviews because obviously, as you can imagine, that the, there's going to be some interesting takes on on how Sale are performing so far this season. So, uh, Chris Goatee, uh, when's next season? Uh, Phil Coffey uh, signed Jamie Shilcock. We'll, we'll talk about him in a, in a little bit. Uh, Staley Shark uh, pace ideas coaching or with question marks against them. Uh, Martin Death um, nothing beats pace. Uh, Charles Edwards, lucky no relegation. Uh, Cy, no relegation, few. Max Boyle, uh, stale coaching setup. John Helm, bewilderingly bad basics. And then Jack Worthy, 2007 season again. I think there might be a few parallels to draw with, with that 2006-07 season. But we'll, we'll, we'll chat broadly about that later on. Um, James, I guess, I guess the thing that I want to ask you, is obviously you kind of touched upon there the fact that Sale go down 14 points within the first nine minutes, you know, the pressure all goes on Sale, lots of individual errors. Um, was there a, but was there like a sort of a key difference between the two teams that, that you saw on Saturday, which is why Worcester were able to, to win so comfortably and Sale really never get out of first gear? Oh. I mean, I know what you're sort of a leading question to talk about the attack, probably. <laughs> um, but I think that conceding the tries in the way we did put unnecessary pressure on on ourselves and the way that we did play going forward. Because actually we had we had plenty of opportunities, especially in the 22, and we just didn't convert them. Um, you know, there ain't nothing that a, an attack coach can do about some of that conversion rate, frankly. Uh, and it's been a problem all season, actually, whether it's been kicking at goal or kicking to touch. Um I think there was a pace thing as well, um, pace and power, which is a worry for Sale because we haven't physically dominated a team at all yet this year. We have not been the dominant mm. physical side and that's how we got on our run last year and, and Worcester really fronted up to us and, and, and managed to manage it over the whole period. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what what do you think? Do you think it is 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 our attack? I mean, you've mentioned it quite a bit now over the last, let's just get straight into it, what, where are we at with our attack? Well, well, funnily enough, it's not just the attack that I that I want to talk about. I've actually got a couple of of stats to hand from from the first seven games this year. Um, sale of the thirteen teams in the league this year uh, are eighth in points conceded, eighth in points scored, uh, and are tied tenth in uh, in bonus points. Both of uh, losing at a, at a try bonus point in, uh, kind. And part of that is propped up by you know Bath and Bristol, who were the bottom two teams in the league, who were uh, you know, really underperformed this year. But you look around the teams where, where where we are on the table, and you know, against even against a team like uh, Gloucester or, or Irish, we you know we fall down quite considerably, especially in terms of scoring points. So we'll get onto that in a second. But I think the thing that really stood out to me from from Saturday was Worcester, to their credit, had some players who could take advantage of a um, disorganised sale defence. And I think one of the things that we really need sort of pointing out is the run that we went on last year was built on this airtight defence that that shipped always less than 20 points and, and we're able to score enough tries to compensate. We're not doing that at the moment. And part of that is because of that that physical element up front that we're missing. We aren't dominating teams. We're actually having the inverse happening to, to us as, as we saw against Leicester, which obviously puts us on a bit of a back foot anyway. So we're struggling to get platform. We're struggling to, to score points. But one of the things we're always very good at is a very strong defensive game, forcing turnovers, forcing counter-attacking opportunities. And we're not doing that either. And you go back and look at the Worcester tries that were scored on 
um, on Saturday. Uh, And they were simple, you know, out the back plays, uh, you know, three or four passes in the back line before they're hitting the uh, contact, before they're getting to the game line, I should say. And what that means is it was putting players like Jamie Shilcock, who was was man of the match on, on Saturday, uh, Ollie Lawrence, uh, Van der Merwe, etc., in in positions where actually they can attack an outside shoulder, or they can front up and go one on one against their play uh, against their opposite man. And you look at the tries, and uh, you know Denny Solomona and Sam James were both very guilty on a couple of occasions of just being either outmuscled or outpaced. And I think that speaks to a bit of a a bit of a defensive structure breakdown where teams are finding ways to play against us because we can't impose ourselves around the uh, around the contact area up front. That's giving teams like Worcester a little bit more time on the ball. And there are they are creating these sort of mismatches where we're starting again to see this sort of lack of real sort of X-factor talent in our back line uh, be exposed. And it doesn't even need to be, we're not talking world beaters here. You know, Jamie Shilcock is is, is never going to play for England, most likely. But in a one-on-one situation, Scotland, Scotland even. Yeah, I think he's. I think he has been in the Scot- an extended Scotland squad. And he, I think he is, he's declared for Scotland, but I could be wrong. There you go. He's declared for Scotland. That probably tells you all you need to know. Um, and, and, and so, you know, you put someone like Shilcock in, in that position, you know, one-on-one, uh, you know, he was, he was, Fending Sam James off like he wasn't there. He was bouncing off a tackle from Aaron Reed, and he was putting Van der Merwe into space for their third try. And that that is the really worrying thing, which is that collectively, if everything is firing for sale, you know, we front up, we build a platform, our defense, you know, forces mistakes, and we score just enough points to win. And we saw that to the tune of ten wins on the bounce last year. But at the moment, our forwards aren't fronting up. We're not winning collisions. We're not dominating field position. We don't have the counter-attacking ability in the squad to score two or three tries out of nowhere, which is something Quinns have been very good at recently. And also, we lack, it's crazy to say it, but we lack physicality you know, in our back line, especially in our back three, which means opposition players like Nemanja Nadolo can run over us. And we lack pace, which means other players like Duan van der Merwe could also run around us. And I think that is the really, really worrying thing. And I thought... You know, we've maligned Worcester a little bit for underperforming and, and you know, these big-name signings not really doing much for them. But on, on Saturday, you saw the difference when the teams are pretty even up front, what that little bit of X-factor in the back line can do. And we just don't have any there at the moment, it feels like. Yeah, it feels like our weaknesses are still our weaknesses and our strengths aren't strengths anymore. That's what seems to have happened. Uh, and there's always a lot of reasons for that. We talk about momentum and confidence, which I honestly, you know, I bang on about because I honestly do think that's true. You know, scrappy win, and then you, and then you suddenly got, you know, go on, go on a bit of a run in the Premiership Cup, maybe even in the Champions Cup, and you, you're a different side. And you know, I still think that that we're not far away from that. And you can always find an injured person to say, oh, well, we haven't got them. We haven't got Bowman. We haven't got Acker. Yeah, but what happens if Acker comes back and can't hit his man in the line out? Uh, you know, what happens if Beaumont comes back and, you know, actually all he's doing is replacing Lou Diago, who's played the last two games and won, won them. You know, so you, so, so I don't think you can blame it on, on all... It's, it's difficult to put your finger on, but whatever it is, there needs to be some proactive action. Um, and I think, you know, 
we're, we're a year on from Diamond leaving. We're not a year on from Sanderson, but we're a year on from Diamond leaving. So, you know, I think what Sanderson's done is he's come in and he's he's led an organisation that was already moving very well in the right direction under Diamond and thought, well, I can if I add an extra 5% to this, we could win premierships. And that did nearly work last year. We're in the first down point here. So we need to find more than 5% to, to turn this around. I think, you know, that you talk about the Saracens DNA that would have, which felt like a winning matchup to add to what we already had at sale. And I just think it's only really Sanderson who's brought that. And, and you know, you, you look at the Borthwick and Wigglesworth, especially, and what they've, Wigglesworth arriving has really changed the mentality, I think, of that Leicester side because he's used to winning. He's a real competitor. Um, and you look at what Saracens do. You look at the team Saracens put out the weekend that went to Quinns and won. You're like Tom Wollstonecroft and Tim Swinson at thirty, you know, thirty six or something. And you, you know, you've got play, and you've got Andy Christie who's twenty one. You know, who's a you know, good player, but you know, he's going to play for him. Not one hundred percent sure. And you know, like Alex Livington, very good player, but you know, he's, he was an Irish before that and was hardly sort of you know an absolute world beater. You know, they are taking players who are as good as the players the players are at sale and getting more out of them. I think. Our squad is as good as another four or five teams in this Premiership. You're looking at Bristol having a shocker, but even Bristol, by the way, if they win their game in hand with a with a winning bonus point, are equal on points with us now. So it's worth saying that Bristol aren't in a completely different camp to us right now and actually have some momentum of a win, which we don't have. So it's only real Bath that having a shocker. And I say that their squad is weaker. Certainly it's less deep um, than ours. So I, I think we, we are clearly underperforming and you want to see action. Now, is that action changing the coaching setup? Well, probably mid-season, I think, is a difficult thing, but you might have a different view, Lewis. Don't know. Well, I mean, this is something I did want to talk about because I think we are seven games into the season now. We're, we're broadly a third of the way through the season, um, all things considered. And we are looking down rather than looking up. You know, Sale sit 10th in the league, Two wins out of seven, uh, you know, and, and the only teams below them are Worcester, who we all figured would be down in that position, Bristol, who we, we certainly didn't, but like you said, James, are only only four points behind us, and, and Bath, who have the wheels have just completely fallen off there. And I think now is is probably the right time for us to be talking about, okay, well, well is, is our challenge for the top four over? Probably not, but we are already seven points behind Northampton in fourth, who've got a game in hand. And very quickly, the season is starting to turn, which is why I'm glad we've naturally got to this topic, which is, well, well, what changes should we be expecting? And I think this is going to be the the real sort of test now of what Alex Anderson is going to bring as a DOR. We know, obviously, of what he can do as a, as a defence coach and a, a second-in-command at Saracens. But as you said, James, you know, he's inherited Diamond squad and Diamond's coaches and all the rest of it. He added something last year that got us into the, to the playoffs. But now is the, the, the big test. And it is difficult because you look at what we can do with the squad and, and the coaching staff and all the rest of it, and it doesn't feel... Like there, there are many options. You know, you can get rid of Paul Deacon and replace him with someone else, but mid-season, that's a big risk. Same with Mike Forshaw, same with Dorian West. The squad is basically at the cap, or so we believe. Obviously, we doubt our salary information. Thank you, Premiership Rugby. Um, so, 
the assumption is you can't make any sort of sweeping changes to the playing squad without someone leaving. I, it does really feel like this is this the, any change that we're going to get now is going to be off the back of what Sanderson, as uh, as the head of this squad, uh, is going to have to implement. And I don't know what actually what that looks like because if you look at the the team at the moment, yes, we'll get a few players back eventually, but we're we're only really missing the clerk now. Of the real sort of frontline starters, it's De Klerk and obviously the, the the boys who are away with England as well. But we we obviously all kind of always had that in in mind. You know, there isn't really much we can change from a playing personnel perspective. And I guess I, I'm reticent to say at this stage we need to change coaches because I think continuity is key. And I think if we win a couple of games, we're right back in the mix for top six. But I guess James, if this run continues. Do you think, let, let's say it's another two or three games without a win, do you think we do have to make drastic changes? I, I think, I honestly think that, um, that all of the coaches have, deserve a chance to turn in a, turn it around after finishing third in the league last year, right? So you, there has to be some perspective there. I think some coaches have probably have more credit in the bank than others. For sure has basically run the best defence or the next best defence in the league for about four or five years. So I think he has definitely a lot of credit in the bank there. Um, and Deakin, there's been question marks over our attack for some time. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, there's always question marks about how much the DOR is empowering him uh, in the overall game game plan. You know, we know Cipriani had sort of spoke like wonders of him. Um, and I'm sure if he played with a rugby league type 10, like a George Ford or even an Owen Farrell, um then he could do a lot more with them, you know, and Cipriani with his, you know, the way he played was quite rugby league-like when he played at Sale. So I don't know is the, is the, is, is the truth or maybe he doesn't have the players to, to, to do it, but I think he'll he'll least leave it until the new year because by then you're going to, you know, if we continue on the current trajectory, top four is 100% gone and probably top six, or although top six, top six might be within reach, but it would require something drastic. So, you know, it, 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 because the squad is locked in for so long on long-term contracts, um, it and because this coaching setup is quite settled, any action is going to feel quite drastic if it needs to be made. So I think he's going to leave it as long as possible um, to avoid having to do that uh, and back people. Because as soon as you get any whiff from a leader or a manager, right, that they don't back you or trust you, performance falls off a cliff. That's just a fact in any walk of life. So Sanderson has to absolutely back his people to the hilt here. But in the background, there probably is some thoughts in the back of his head about what might I need to change if I get to the new year and we are miles off. Because it enables him to make some changes mid-season and get things bedded in for the start of next season, right? You don't really want to be making all your changes off-season, having to bed it in all in pre-season, especially because we have quite a lot of disruption at sale built into the way that we've now run this squad because the South Africans are away, especially in COVID times, in quarantine for huge amounts of time on the other side of the world and play 12 months of a year, yeah? And so, uh, you know, and you've got a few more England players that are touring and things now as well. So, you know, you'd want to do it during the season if you can, if you had to. Now, this is disaster sizing again, um, but I think, you know, there's a part of us that's, that's thinking about it. I, I, I think I, I would back them to the absolute hill. 
um, until until the new year at the at the very least. And as I said, some of these people, especially in the coaching group, like Forshaw, I mean, I think he's probably got the job as long as he wants it, um, unless something drastic happens here. I mean, if you've got Sanderson and Forshaw at the club, your defence should be better than eighth in the league. Um, so there's something going on here, and honestly, the, you can't you can't adjudicate for some of those missed tackles. Like Sam James, he's never been a massive defender in terms of um, dominant collisions, but he's always positionally very strong in the 13 channel. Not many teams get through us in the 13 channel, uh, or between 13 and 14. If it happens, it tends to be on the inside, um, and. That's what happened, you know. Getting shoved off by Jamie Shilcock. I mean, this is a—he's not a big lad. <laughs> so you know, I, I'm sure that Sam James is going to be a bit mortified by that uh, replay. It happens, doesn't it? We've all been there in rugby where the little scrum half or something just palms you straight off and you go down like a sack of shit and look like an idiot and get the the piss is taken out of you for the next couple of weeks. It just happened at a professional level, you know. <laughs> Uh, for their, for thousands of people live to see, which was a bit unfortunate. But Duan van der Merwe suddenly looking like a lion, you know. <sighs> Something's not right at sale, but we're at home this week and there's always an opportunity. That's the great thing about rugby. There's always next week you've got the opportunity to change to change things. Well, let's, let's get on to next week because I think if we talk more about Worcester, we're going to kill ourselves. Um... <laughs> Because I mean, it was it was, it was bad. Um, we sail obviously, you know, playing host to to Northampton next week at the AJ Bell five o'clock kickoff um, because of the Autumn Internationals. Um, you know, and, and, and James, I guess let's where I really want to start this is off the back of, of of a pretty humiliating defeat at six ways. What 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 changes can can sail make? Because we you know we, we're missing players. If through injury, through through international call-ups, etc., this team that went down to to Worcester, you know, has been humiliated. There's been a lot of talk about how many changes we're making every single week at the moment. Do we do we back the same team that just had their asses kicked, or do we, based on what we saw, do we need to make some positional changes and try and do something from a strategic point of view? Oh God. Well, I mean, Jean Luc uh, and Dan obviously have to play. Um, for me, they look mentally fatigued more than physically fatigued. You know, you, they've basically been locked in a room either in South Africa or Australia for like three to four months. The, the, the humans just aren't built like that. So they've had no mental respite from the end of last season. And then they've suddenly rocked up and they've got to perform for sale. I think it's it, it's completely unrealistic. Now, the problem is, and we've we've signed up to this by saying, oh, yeah, let's get, let's get the next lot of South Africans in and they're all brilliant and Jean-Luc can work. The problem is when they get picked by South Africa because it's really going to impact the continuity. But if they're fit, you've got to play them. I still think they're going to come look good at some point. They're, they don't like losing and they don't like being beaten up physically. So if they can be in good physical condition, I don't know where Acker is with stuff, but uh, hopefully he's not a million miles away. Will Cliff, we don't think he's going to be back just yet, uh, but we could definitely do with him back. I thought Gus War acquitted himself reasonably well. I think he made some um, strategically poor decisions, but I thought, you know, he's definitely showing enough that when Will Cliff retires, he becomes the third choice in the squad, mm. 
basically. Mm. Nice, um, nice snipe for his try as well. We didn't nice mention that. Nice snipe for his try. Showed awareness as well because he was actually looking around for the option both left and right, which brought him deeper. He then pulled the, the um, defence out and then he was had enough mind to, to go through the gap and score. Uh, that, that's good. So, so anyway, to go back to the original point, where AJ has to come back in um, uh, and just we have to just pray to the gods that he stays fit because... You know, I thought Rob Dupree had a very difficult game um, and, you know, certainly was not... I think he was probably less good than Kieran Wilkerson's been in the last few weeks, um, to be honest. So I think AJ has to come back in and have Wilkinson on the bench. Um, Van Rensburg, you just have to hope with a bit of a run of games, he's going to come good, but his, his skill set in close contact remains very poor. Um, do, do you know what? Luke James has been our best centre this season. He's only played one game there, uh, in my in my opinion. So I'd love to see Luke James giving a go, whether that's whether that's at 12 instead of Van Rensburg or at 13 instead of his brother. And just Sam James hasn't had a lot of competition at 13 for quite some time. And I think maybe Luke could provide that because he's intelligent enough for, um, footballer to play there. Um, and other than that, where am I going? I... I I just think when down in the in the shit, Cam Neal somebody to give a call um, as well. Rock hard, give you hundred percent blood, sweat, and tears. So if you lose, at least you know that you, you know he's gonna try and kill himself on a rugby pitch for you. So I, I think we're at that kind of stage. What about you? What do you think? I think that Cam Neal shout is is a great one. I think you know I, I would have him, Curry, Dan Dupria as you three in the back row. Get John Luke in there. Uh, probably Copas Visa, obviously at, at four. And you, no Lude is there. Lude's with South Africa. Exactly. Yeah. So so you've got to you've got to kind of stack your your team with 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 players that that will front up physically and, and mentally because I think it's it's going to be a huge mental test on uh, on Saturday against Northampton as well because like you said we're in the shit and you need people to drag us out of it. You know, to, to that end, you know, someone like John O'Ross might not be a bad shout, but I quite like to see him off the bench because I think the skill set at this stage of his career, Cam, Cam Neal is in a is in a better position to do that. So I think you know that those are the guys that you need. I agree wholeheartedly on, on getting AJ back in the team straight away. Um, he's so important to this team, um, so he needs to play. Um, I, you know, it's interesting we're not seeing any of Sam Hill recently, but whatever we're doing in the in the centres just doesn't seem to be working. I'd, I'd keep Rohan at twelve because on his day he's, he's by far our most dynamic attacking player. Um, but I think you know having someone like Luke James at thirteen is a great shout. I, I think we really, really need to see much more of Luke James in this team because I think at the moment we struggle a lot with with some of our players who maybe don't have the the kind of top end skill set at any one thing. You know, Simon Hammersley is a good premiership player, but he's probably not more than that. I think Denny Solomona is, is a good premiership player and he's probably never going to be, be more than that at this stage of his career. I think Luke James is, is very much in the same boat, but the difference between him versus some of those other players is that although he maybe doesn't have a, a high level of skill in, oh, I don't know, uh, finishing, you know, near the, near the try line, He's so solid in every facet that at the moment it's players like him and Cam Neal that you want in your team because they are dependable. They're not going to make mistakes. They are positionally sound. Um, and, and off the back of that, you can build you can build winning performances in the Premiership just by not making mistakes. 
you know, so I'd I, I'd say you definitely need to get Luke James in there somewhere, whether it's at thirteen or fifteen, I'm not sure, but just get him involved. Um, and and then on the wings, I mean, I, I really don't know. You know, Solomon has you know struggled. Uh, Marlon Yard is is has had some pretty quiet games recently. He's not. He's another player whose sort of form has dropped off quite a lot. Um, I, I mean, watching Aaron Reid get thrown around by doing Van der Merwe like he wasn't really there, you know, is is a bit disconcerting because I think Reid is a fantastic player, but there are questions about, you know, is he going to be big enough and strong enough to to handle it at Premiership level? And I, we're not we've not seen him sort of put on the bulk that maybe he needs. Um, you know, I'm sure he's, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm sure he's a very you know fit and powerful you know player, but there's a level you need to hit. You know, and then you're down to someone like Tom Roebuck, who's not really been seen, you know, much, or, or Byron McGuigan, who, who wasn't played presumably for rotation reasons. So there's a lot of question marks in that back three. Um, and, but I think it's, you know, where, where possible, please, you know, get AJ back in. You know, get get the players, you know, who who are going to lead from the front, um, because I think, you know, we'll talk about the Saints team now, but it's going to be a performance that's going to be based, I think, more on. Uh, passion for the shirt than it is about tactical acumen at this stage of the season. But is passion for the shirt going to be enough to surmount a, a Northampton team that started to round into form? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, Northampton had a difficult weekend at home to East Midlands rivals Leicester, who gave him a good battery. I mean, actually... It was a very competitive game for the majority of it. So I think the scoreline was a bit misleading. Uh, but George Ford, I mean, he's, I keep saying this every week now, I mean, he's on a different level to other tens in the, in the, in the competition. Obviously, he's helping that his pack's on the front foot, but it just shows what he can do with a pack that is a bit more dominant. And Leicester, the fall off when he wasn't playing for Leicester and he was away with England was enormous. Um, so the fact that he's staying with it is still there. I think Northampton are going to have a similar issue this weekend where they've been re- they really struggle when there's no Dan Bigger. And presumably Dan Bigger is going to be with Wales. But this, the form for the beginning part of this year, you, you take last weekend out of it. They lost the way it was, but got a losing bonus point. They've won all the rest of the games. Home against Gloucester, away at Exeter, you know, we wish. Um, uh, you know, at home to Irish and then at home, I think, to Worcester as well. Um, so, you know, they've been competitive. Um, we ain't going to smash them. Uh, but the first sort of blow to them this weekend from a mental point of view. Then you take Dan Bigger out of the equation as well. Alex Mitchell's also with England. It'll be interesting to see if he's released in time to come back and play because then that's a bit of, quite a bit of disruption. They have signed really well. Um, Joano Augustus at eight brings a kind of like Louis Pickamoles type thing back to Northampton that they've really lacked. Harrison, we know, is a, is a big ball carrier for them. But uh, as a, as it was, when it's all on him as an eight, it's too much. When he actually is playing at six or Laws is at six, then that gives them a different dimension, I think, for me. So Augusta, Augusta's at eight, Harrison probably plays six with no Laws um, or who's would be away with England. I think still gives them a lot of physicality in, in the team. Um, and then, you know, look, they're, they're a solid side of good, good ball players. They, they, they've got some um, quick feet as well. You know, Proctor's got quick feet. You know, Hutchinson's got quick feet, but also is a good ball player, can play 10, 12 and 13. They, they've actually got quite a lot of players like that. 
you know, who can play sort of 10, 12, 13. So they play in a different way than us. Add Tommy Freeman into the situation. Um, they're obviously, who knows if Tommy Freeman's going to play against Tonga. Um, we'll have to see. So it's a bit of an unknown quantity in terms of what Eddie Jones picks as well. But, but you know, we don't, we don't, I mean, they might even have George Furbank playing for England this weekend. You can't be 100% certain, can you? But, you know, look, I still think there's enough there with Ollie Slightholm as well. Uh, Tom Collins is a really underrated player. I think for me, it's just how can they direct it at nine and ten? If there's if Mitchell's not there, then you've got Tom James underneath that, who's competitive. Chris Cook, who's a competitive player, but I don't think out there in the class of Alex Mitchell so far this season. And then James Grayson again, a solid player, so much like his dad, uh, but not his dad's level, I don't think. Um, and I don't think he's gonna be up to Dan Bigger's sort of level. So there's an opportunity for us there at home. There'll be another good crowd. Um, and if we can stay in the game and not make stupid mistakes where we concede, then you, you hope for the best, don't you? Is there any other players for on the Northampton side that you think our listeners should know all about? Uh, just because just he's one of my absolute favourite players, because I'm a sucker for a wing, uh, scrum half who also plays winger. Uh, Frank Lamani, the uh, Fijian scrum half, was signed by uh, Northampton over the summer, uh, was playing his, his uh, rugby down at the uh, the Melbourne Rebels in, in Super Rugby. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why I still think Nicola Matawalu is going to come good for whoever he's playing for now. Scrum halves who can, uh, who can do a stint on the wing, you know, we I absolutely love that. So it looks like based on obviously who was playing against uh, Leicester, it, it might be a Lamani Grayson combination um, on uh, the weekend at nine and ten. But I think of all the teams to sort of face whilst uh, whilst the internationals are on, I think Northampton's actually probably not a bad one because a bit like Sale, they are going to miss the sort of three or four absolute top players because of uh, because of the the break. And I think playing Northampton. Uh, with James Grayson at uh, at ten is a much different proposition than playing them with uh, with Dan Bigger at ten. So I'm feeling confident that Sale have enough on paper to win. But again, you look at the form that Sale are in at the moment; it's going to be a real sort of drag them by the collar performance. You you would you would think, especially uh, as an evening kickoff. Um, so with that being said, James, I guess um, you know what, what what's your prediction for for Saturday night? I mean, it's going to be one or two points in it. I mean, I've got nearly, we've got predictions wrong all season. We've been nowhere on it. Um, I I think like 1918 or 1817, something like that. I wouldn't want to predict anything more. I'm still backing the lads at home to turn this around. They, you know, they're going to be embarrassed about that defeat. And I think it will bring an emotional reaction on the pitch. If they channel it right, we should win. Um, but you have, the bigger context would suggest we aren't going to run away with it. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's going to go two ways. And I think both ways see, do see Sale win, because I think on paper at home that there is enough there. But I think it's either going to be 18-16 uh, to, to Sale, and, and McGinty kicks six penalties, or it's going to be 52-12, something ridiculous. And you just see that... Um, complete reversal of what happened last week, that emotional response as well as the the, the tactical one. And we just absolutely blow Saints out of the water, really, doors, and, and that's it. So it's going to be one of the two. But I mean, the other one is that Saints are terribly embarrassed about losing at Franklin's <laughs> Gardens and conceding 50 points to Leicester. 
and therefore <laughs> <laughs> rock up to a l- underconfident sale team uh, that can't catch the ball, can't score tries, um, and are conceding too many points. That's well, the other. I mean, if you if you're doing a Northampton podcast. I think even with all the changes, they come to sell pretty confident, even with what happened at the weekend. But I think I I agree with that. I think that's, that is very fair. But it's so much easier to get a reaction when you're at home, and I think it is it is crazy, really, when you think about it. But ultimately, every team in the league has a sixty to seventy percent win rate at home, unless they are down right at the bottom. And I think for sale, although I think that's just a as big a possibility for Northampton, it's a lot easier for Sale to do that because they're going to be buoyed by by being at home again after two weeks on the road and and getting the uh, get the fans behind them again. So, yeah, fingers crossed. The the big response is from a, from a Sale perspective rather than the Saints one. Um, so that's the podcast for this week. A little bit quicker than usual because we didn't want to spend too much time on on Worcester. Uh, massive thank you to James for for joining me as always. Uh, thank you to everyone who sent in your three word reviews. Thank you to everyone who revelled in, in in our misery over the weekend with us on Twitter. Uh, me and James are about to hop over onto the Patreon to do a bonus podcast uh, with the Autumn Internationals coming uh, thick and fast. Uh, we're taking some time to look at the big storylines and obviously what we can expect from Marcel contingent playing uh, in the end of year uh, test fixtures as well so if you're not already subscribed to the patreon uh, join us on there as well for for more sales stuff uh, and uh, and a wider look at the rugby world as well um, so that's everything from me james anything to say to, to sign us off not really but uh just come on the lads let's turn this around that allows the moment um and you know go on a run from here and everything is still possible 